Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello Fight Fans, I'm Mo Chatra and welcome to the debut episode of MMA Monthly. Yes, it's the newest addition to the Anfield Index channel and um, I'm joined by one of the staple founder members of the Anfield Index, um, the one and only Dave Hendrick. How are you doing Dave? I'm good Mo, I'm good. I'm looking forward to seeing if I can upset people as much talking about MMA as I do when I talk about football. <laughs> well, I'm sure that won't be too difficult for you, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to have lots of fun with this. There's always plenty to talk about where mixed martial arts and especially UFC is concerned. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing this on a monthly basis with you, Dave. So, uh, you know, very excited about this show as well. We've got plenty to talk about and we'll get stuck in. Um, now, obviously being our first episode, it'd be good to just introduce ourselves in terms of our following of uh, mixed martial arts and um so i'll let you start off then dave um how, how did you firstly get into mma and um what drew you to it and what really interests you about it so i have family in the states and um i remember one christmas they came home and my uncle had these vhs tapes with him um of ufc events early ufc events like you know, from UFC one onwards, um, that he'd recorded, and my grandmother had a region one VHS player that I don't know how she came across it, but it was in the house anyway. So I just remember watching those with him, uh, much to my mother's annoyance, and just been fascinated by how different it was, like to boxing, and I, it's obviously that famous fight in UFC one. I still can't remember the guy's name, but he fought uh, Hoist Gracie. And he wore one boxing glove. And he tapped out because Gracie lay on top of him and didn't actually do anything. And it was just like really fascinating to see the different styles come together and how guys were trying to adapt their own kind of, you know, technique into it. And then sort of it, it was very hard to follow from home. 
um, for a number of years when they were going through, you know, the the spell where it, the company wasn't making money and it wasn't on TV and nobody really cared and it was, you know, on the verge of dying really. And then I um, I became friends with a guy called Mark who was massively into it. And at the time, um, the UFC champions were Matt Hughes, Rich Franklin, Chuck Liddell, and Tim Sylvia and Arlovsky were like the two heavyweights that were kind of giving the title back and forth. And Mir was involved. And there was th- that sort of era. So you're looking about UFC in the, like, say, 50, late 50s to early 60s, you know, that kind of era. So what are we going back? Maybe 10 years? Um, and yeah, just before it really exploded in terms of popularity. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And you had. Um, like some such great fights back then, like you had Matt Hughes against BJ Penn, you had Liddell and Ortiz, you had Liddell and Couture, you had Corti, uh, Couture and Ortiz when, when Couture gave him a spanking. Um, Matt Hughes was always kind of was fighting the likes of Phil Baroni and uh, Frank Trigg and guys of like this, and there was just lots of different guys and different characters, and it was it was an interesting kind of growth of the sport and then obviously it took off when when the ultimate fighter started and i think that's kind of when it became this mainstream sport so i was quite happy that i sort of got in before that again sort of my second discovery of it and for me the fascinating thing was seeing how it had evolved from where it was in like the ufc's say one through five to where it was from say 55 to 65 because they'd obviously settled on a set of rules um there was like entrance music and there was like big crowds and it was obviously on pay-per-view and you had just it was more of a spectacle whereas before it was sort of this like a naughty little secret and like there were literally no rule well, there was like no hair pulling and no fish fish hooking and no eye edge and i think we're about the three rules oh. so you had like guys when literally winning fights by just repeatedly punching people in the balls um and it was just like guys like Tank Abbott and Don Fry and guys who would have had their asses handed to them later on had been the fighters at the start. So before it was like a tough man competition, whereas later on it did become more about, you know, being well-rounded. Like originally, obviously, Gracie was the best, but he had one thing he was brilliant at. Later on, you had, like, you had to be rounded. Um, Not as much as now, but you had to have, you had to be, like, good in at least two things and great in one to get to a high level like Liddell was a great striker who was a good wrestler and like Matt Hughes was a decent striker a great wrestler things like that so for me getting into it at that time it was just it was really interesting to see like the the different styles and you'd, you'd see like a Matt Hughes fight a BJ Penn and they're obviously both grapplers by trade but just the beat the Brazilian jiu-jitsu versus the wrestling and I obviously was, I was a big Pride fan. I was actually more of a Pride fan than a UFC fan for a long time. So I, I love the contrast of the ring versus the cage as well. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's um, that's a great story. And uh, you know, I was very similar to you. Um, I got into mixed martial arts in 1994. Um, I used to read uh, pro wrestling newsletters um, from around 1993. And um, a couple of them reported on this um, UFC one show from late 93. And uh, it caught my attention because um, now by that point, 
um, as a wrestling fan, as a long time wrestling fan, I was well aware that pro wrestling was not real. It was not above board. Um, it was predetermined. It was choreographed. And uh, one thing I'd always been quite intrigued about was what pro wrestling might look like if it was real. And uh, when I heard and learned about this promotion um, and also learned about a couple of other promotions that were out there as well that launched around the same time, um, such as Pancrase over in Japan, which um, Ken Shamrock um, started out in before um, coming to UFC at UFC one. And, um, you know, these promotions were the ones that intrigued me. And um, it was a following year in 94 that uh, through a pro wrestling tape trader, I managed to get hold of UFC two. And um, I remember watching it one night and being blown away. And, you know, looking back at that show now, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, a particularly great show. I mean, the fights were not incredible. I mean, there was some um, interesting kind of <laughs> strategies adopted and whatnot because of, um, as, as you mentioned earlier, the kind of lack of rules. But um, it was um, it was just something like, the likes of which I'd never seen before. And I thought, wow, this is quite something. And I wanted to see more of it. Um, but um, it, it was difficult to get hold of uh, UFC tapes, as you mentioned. And um, it was around 96 that I managed to get a tape trader over in the United States who was supplying me with um, WCW Monday Nitro on a weekly basis. And um, he was sending these through to me. And at the same time, I was ordering the UFCs from him as well, as they were occurring every two or three months at that time and i managed to get hold of all the back ones except for ufc one from him as well um so i was caught up on my ufcs and then from there on um i just kept up with it even through those really quiet times when um ufc was pretty much and mixed martial arts was banned in nearly every state in the united states um but i was ordering my ufcs and i stuck to it religiously and i got into pride when it first launched in 97 as well and, um, you know, it was a, it was a nice refreshing contrast to UFC, uh, because of the ring and the slightly different rules with the longer rounds, etc. Um, and, um, you know, I saw the sport evolve, you know, through the early noughties. And as you mentioned, uh, once that popularity, um, really started to skyrocket after the ultimate fighter, um, you know, the sport ju just started to change beyond all recognition. Um, and long before then I'd, been writing for a pro wrestling magazine which listeners of the pro wrestling index will be familiar with um called power slam and it was around 2003 that i started a mma column on a monthly basis in there and i was covering mma for about a decade in that magazine and um through that I managed to um attend some ufc shows in fact i attended the ufc i think it was 38 show at the royal albert hall um back in 2002 um, which was just about less than a year after uh, the Fatitas and Dana White um, took over UFC. And uh, at that time, UFC was well in the red by many millions of dollars. Mm. And um, I think UFC was really um, a massive drain on the Fatitas' finances. They were people who were involved in casinos and hotels in Vegas. So whilst they were making money through that, um, you know, they didn't have a bottomless uh, pit of money to keep ufc going but um, they stuck with it for another couple of years had one or two little breakthroughs with fox uh, fox sports net and then the the spike deal and um when the ultimate fighter launched it just took over from there um but i've stuck with ufc um during that time and i've seen it involve and um 
it's just amazing and um you know you know by extension mixed martial arts too and um it's just been an amazing journey and amazing ride and uh the sport just keeps getting bigger and bigger i mean up until a couple of years ago i thought you know maybe it just might start to decline um you know there's one or two individuals big names of careers have come to an end i don't see where the big stars are and then all of a sudden ronda rousey and conor mcgregor just took off and became bigger stars than everyone that preceded them absolutely yeah i mean the thing is because because lesnar left and then gsp retired or took his hiatus yeah and lots lots of people thought the same mo lots of people thought well what what do they do now there's no stars but the great thing about the ufc and the way they've like the fertitas deserve huge credit dana obviously deserves huge credit um and their matchmakers are just brilliant. What they've done so well is they've enabled opportunities for others. So, like, even now, you see, we'll, we'll talk about UFC 206 in a minute, but you see Conor McGregor being lifted out of the featherweight division, and they've made a star of Max Holloway now. Like, he's a guy yeah. that could be, go on to become a very popular fighter, um, kind of 12, 13, 14 years after BJ Penn became a very popular fighter from the same kind of lineage through Hawaii. But, like, you mentioned pancreas, and I've I've since gone back, watched all the old pancreas uh, events, and, like, those were... Those were really entertaining, and they're still fun to watch now. Like, a lot of the old UFCs aren't as fun to watch, because it's just, like, two bums fighting at a bar, like... But a lot of the pancreas stuff, they were so technical. It was a lot of hybrid wrestlers and stuff, and... You had like the catches catchkin style that Josh Barnett is probably the last remaining soldier in MMA who's still at that, but like the Shamrocks yep. were pioneers of that uh, oh. in in the mainstream. And like when you go back and watch the like Frank Shamrock was probably the first great all round fighter. Oh yeah, and like you look at when when he left the UFC, people thought that's it, that's their biggest star gone. They can't survive without him. And then Tito became a huge star. And then Chuck became a huge star. And then just more and more growth. And these guys were becoming bigger and bigger names. And like, it, it's just, that's the way it has, this sport has morphed. And like, Anderson Silva came in, a guy who hadn't done all that well in Pride, comes into the UFC and just blows the place up. GSP was like their first real sort of product of the UFC. They got him really young, brought him in, had a couple of fights to kind of set him up for the higher level. And once he hit that higher level, like it just grew and grew and grew with him. And he was, he had such crossover appeal as well because he's a good looking guy and multi, uh, you know, bilingual, brings the Canadians, brings a lot of Europeans because he's like French Canadian. Yeah. So, you know, and then like Brock bringing in the wrestling fans as, as Shamrock and, to a much lesser extent, the likes of Tank, Ab- Tank Abbott and Dan Severn had done back in the 90s. So the UFC have always been very clever about, you know, cross, cross-branding and, you know, bringing in fans from other sports and other avenues. And you see it now with McGregor, like, he's going to, he's doing video, he's done that video game, he's probably going to do a film in the next year or two, and that's just going to bring more and more attention to, to mixed martial arts and Again, you're bringing in whole new audiences, and 
they've just they've done it so so well and like look the Fertitas bought the company for what a million and a half or something stupid yeah. and just sold it for like four and a half billion so um for for all the credit they deserve they've been well reimbursed but as you mentioned mo they were throwing money left and right to try and keep this thing going and it was the spike deal that changed everything mm. oh yeah yeah oh totally and um you know that if that deal hadn't be made um then you could argue ufc might not even be around today um because you know there's not many people out there um that are going to put money into something that had been around for by that point over a decade and was lo- losing money hand over fist and um you know these guys were willing to stick it through the tough times and uh, give it a chance and they really believed in it that was the most important thing they felt that they really could make this something very, very big um, as long as it got the right exposure. And once mm. they got that big break, um, and it was a second TV deal, the first one with Fox Sports Net um, um, at that time, which was a fairly small-scale um, TV network, um, was you know the first ray of light that they had, and um, that was the thing that really um, led to the spike deal. And then you know with the Ultimate Fighter um, coming on after Raw, um, WWE Monday Night Raw that is um, on a Monday night you know a lot more eyeballs are watching MMA and UFC than ever before and um, you know as you say that was a massive difference maker for them and the rest as they say is history and um, talking of history um, they uh, had um, another historic night um, last weekend with UFC 206 which um, took place in um your new hometown of Canada, uh, sorry, Toronto, Canada, sorry. And uh, that, was, that was one of the best UFC shows of uh, 2016, in my humble opinion. Mm. Um, a really, really good card. Now, I mean, for time, um, because these UFC shows have, you know, 200 fights per show, we can't run through every single one. Um, so what we will be doing is sticking to the main card fights, and um, if we just run through those then, um, Dave, and uh, we'll start off with the opener on the main card, which was a welterweight contest between Emil uh, Mech, um, a Norwegian fighter making his UFC debut against a guy who'd been in retirement for a couple of years, um, who's still only 27, uh, one Jordan Mine. And uh, this was a fight that um, the debuted um, Mike uh, won by u- unanimous decision. And uh, what do you think of this fight? I thought this was a really fun fight. I thought, well, first of all, let me just, I got press accredited for this event and I had planned to go for the last couple of months. And uh, then TSC went and got their way to the MLS Cup final. And because I'm press accredited there, I had to go to that. Yep. So I missed one of the best events of the year to go and watch one of the single most boring games of soccer you will ever see in your entire life. So um, it was with much annoyance because I'd read some of the reviews of 206 before I watched it and I was like properly pissed off because the game was horrendous and I knew I'd missed you know a really really good card but like Emil Mech, he he drew Jordan Mine into his fight. He wanted a brawl. He wanted a scrap. Mine is a more technical fighter who really just shouldn't have played that game. 
with, with someone like Mac. Now, maybe he didn't know enough about Mac to, to know any better. Like you say, he was, he'd been off, you know, on the shelf for a long time. Uh, but this was a fun fight, and it, you know, a lot of times, this gay fights go to the distance, and they can be quite boring. But this was a legitimately fun fight between two guys who just went out there, laid it all out, and in the end, the better man won. Mac was brilliant on the night, put his punches together really well, took some big, big shots, but just kept coming forward, kept engaging, kept pushing the pace, kept making mine fight his fight, and he came away with a deserved win, and I'll I'll be excited to watch him fight again, because he's one that I really enjoyed, Um, and maybe he's somebody that might match up uh, down the line with, you know, some of the, the, the bigger name welterweights. Absolutely, yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, he certainly seems to have something, and uh, you know, he, he was already one of my favourite MMA fighters at the moment. Come into this fight before he'd even done anything in this contest against mine, purely for the fact that um, a few months ago he fought against one of the biggest dickwads in the whole of MMA, Rusmal Palhares, and knocked him the fuck out in 45 seconds. So for that alone, Emil um, Mech um, is a hero, and um, you know, he certainly showed personality and lots of ability. I mean, he's a stand-up fighter, and yet in the second and third rounds, he um, took the fight to the ground. He really wanted to win this fight, um, didn't want to debut on a losing note, and um, controlled mine. And, you know, mine's a more experienced fighter, and yet, you know, make, um, made it look almost easy and um, was a deserved winner. And, um, you know, he's, he's a big welterweight as well. And... Uh, certainly against some of the other guys in the division, you know, I think he can have a lot of success. So uh, I'm really interested to see w- where his career goes, but uh, a good win for um, Emil Mech in the opener of the main card. Um, the second contest then um, was a middleweight contest against a guy who's not always been in UFC's good books, um, a guy by the name of Kelvin Gastelum, who often fought at welterweight, um, but has missed weight on at least two occasions and um, he was up against um, a veteran middleweight fighter in Tim Kennedy. And um, this was another very interesting and entertaining fight, wasn't it, Dave? It was. And, like, after the just the disgraceful act at 205 by Gastelum, where he was signed to fight Donald Cerrone, and he just couldn't get his weight down, and he didn't even bother turning up to, to try and make weight. So... He's lucky the UFC didn't fire him because, you know, they fired guys for less in the past. But yeah. credit to him, comes out in this fight and he puts on a show. And he was he was excellent from start to finish. Um, Tim Kennedy's done. Tim Kennedy should retire. At this point, he's just risking an injury. Uh, he was talking before the fight about maybe making a run at the belt. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it's Bisping and he's beaten Bisping in the past. Yeah, but Tim Tim Kennedy's done, and you know there's certainly a role for him in MMA. I know he's part of this new fighters union. Mm. I think he's a very intelligent guy. He's certainly a leader of men. He's ex-military. He's all about organization and the details. So he's a guy who can play a big, big role in that. But in terms of his days as a fighter, I think they're over. One thing I do that did bother me though was Joe Rogan's sort of comments about Gastelum before the fight. Um, about his, you know, not making weight and stuff. I just thought he was overly, overly harsh. Um, got a little bit personal with some of the comments. I just didn't think they were very fair. I think Rogan's better than that. Um, 
But look, Gaslam can only do what he can do, and he went out and he won the fight, and that's all you can ask of him. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he looked very good. Arguably his best ever performance in the UFC. I mean, he's had some pretty good wins, but um, I thought this was as complete a performance as we've seen from him. Um, the only interesting thing is, I mean, at the end in the post-match interview, we did talk about wanting to go back down to welterweight, which, uh, you know, runs the risk of missing weight for what I think be the fourth occasion, in fact, um, which would almost certainly get him fired. But um, after the show um it was then announced that his next opponent will be none other than ufc legend Vitor belfort at middleweight so um you know he has to stay in that division at least for one more fight and um he's got a massive opponent in in belfort coming up and um that should certainly be a very good test for gasoline in terms of exactly how good he is yeah that could well be Vitor's retirement fight as well um, because he he doesn't have he doesn't have anything left to offer either. Vitor's been one of the greats, um, an incredible fighter, an incredible career. Obviously, some some question marks and some black marks against his name um, with some of the failed tests and stuff over the years. But yeah, you know, a phenomenally gifted fighter probably didn't become as good as he should have, given his incredible stand up, his knockout power with both hands and both feet. He's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, he probably should have become, you know, a top five fighter of all time. Never reached the levels. He's always been sort of a one-round fighter. If Vitor doesn't win the fight in the first round, you know, he tends to lose. Um, he's he's a really, you know, destructive fighter who tends to self-destruct after the first round and that that'll be an interesting fight for sure. Um, if Gastelum wins, he's knocking off a legend, and if Vitor wins, he can walk out on a high. Mm. Absolutely, indeed. Um, so good start to the show then. Two good fights. The third fight of the main card was something else, wasn't it? Um, this was a featherweight contest between Cub Swanson, veteran of WEC and UFC's featherweight divisions for going back a good decade or so, mm. against one of the brightest featherweight prospects in UFC. And um, this was Choi Hodu. I think that's how I pronounce it. Or Duho Choi? I, I don't know. I, I always get confused with Korean names because sometimes you see them <laughs> surname first and some, like, like yeah. Sun at, at Tottenham Hotspur is. Son Hung Min, but when he was in Germany, he was Hung Min Son. So I, I don't know. Um, but regardless, that kid can take a punch. This was one of the most entertaining fights you'll ever see. Uh, I would say definitely a fight of the year contender. Cub Swanson showed in his incredible versatility in his striking. He was throwing spinning fists, spinning elbows, uh, you know, car- you know, wheel kicks, you know, switch kicks, literally throwing everything at this kid. And he, the kid, just kept taking it and coming back for more. Landed his own big, big shots. Hurt Swanson a couple of times, and they were literally they were throwing from first bell to last bell. And you know, the ending, you know, the last. 15 seconds of the fight is just one of the most ridiculous flurries you'll ever see. Swanson threw about eight different techniques, finally knocks him down, just goes over and starts hammer fisting him with both hands 
um, just to try and get the knockout because he knows it's going to take something to knock this kid out. But, you know, he survived the bell. Um, we might have a successor to the Korean zombie in this kid because, um, my God, the punishment he took and the punishment he was, you know, he gave out. It was just, it was an immense fight. Really, really exciting. Great technique by both. Um, Choi has, you know, really kind of traditional striking, you know, in the pocket. Everything's very neat and tidy. Big, big power. Cub Swanson is just one of those really loose guys who just throw whatever comes to mind. But the accuracy is, you know, phenomenal. He's never quite been an elite fighter but he's certainly a very good gatekeeper like if you want to be a top contender at featherweight you're going to have to go through Cub Swanson I think he's accepted that that's his role in the sport now and you know he, he as he showed he, he can still knock guys off so all credit to both of them this was this was a hell of a fight absolutely yeah no, that's a great point Dave um absolutely is that kind of uh, fighter in this division I mean number four ranked so you know, if you want to get ahead of him, um, you're pretty much in contention for that featherweight title. And, uh, you know, he, um, you know, busted out every kind of strike imaginable and um, still couldn't put um, Choi away. And um, credit to Choi. I mean, he um, stood it, stood there and took so much punishment and, you know, barely had a mark on him. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, he had a bloody nose and uh, a few scratches around the eyes, but uh, considering the amount of punishment he took, um, he, he was relatively unmarked almost. Um, but um, it, it was a fantastic um, fight throughout, as you say. Um, unanimous decision win, four cups Swanson. Um, so, you know, Choi, very disappointed to lose, um, but I think he'll come back stronger. And he certainly said that, you know, that's his intention in his post-match uh, interview. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. I mean, he had two performances of the night, contests in his previous two UFC fights and um you know he's certainly one of the more entertaining fighters in the whole of the UFC and um you know th- this fight very, very much was uh, for me reminiscent of the uh Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia fight from many years ago and um you know just all action from beginning to end and uh, these are the types of fights that UFC really needs a lot more of and um you know, when they do come along, they're absolutely a joy to watch. And uh, if you do get a chance, I certainly urge you to make the uh, half an hour or so just to check it out because it's well worth a watch. Trust me. Uh, right. On to the uh, semi-main event then, which was a welterweight contest um, between two of the most competitive uh, fighters in the division, um, Donald Cerrone and Matt Brown. And um, this was yet another entertaining contest on this uh, card and, um, you know, went back and forth just like the previous contest. Um, but it was the cowboy that emerged victorious, Donald Cerrone, picking up his fourth win of 2016 and really um, put himself into contention for the welterweight belt. What do you think of the fight, Dave? It was a great performance from Cerrone. I mean, Brown had his moments for sure. He's always going to because he's just one of those guys who just keeps coming and coming and coming and throws everything he can. Um, there's a reason Matt Brown has carved out a good career for himself in the UFC but Cerrone was just he was just on a different level Um, his striking is so crisp so accurate he's you know very tight with what he throws he doesn't throw anything big and loopy you know very controlled but he was setting up that head kick all fight and he was landing it when he wanted he knew it was there 
and Brown made one mistake and Cerrone with you know lightning quick and so accurate just catches him flush in the chin and it's, it's you know it's it's good night Matt Brown <clears throat> Cerrone seems to have taken on the mantle from Josh Koscheck of being that guy who will fight five to six times a year oh. straight in his post fight he's asking to be on the card in Denver um, that's only you know not not far away and Dana White is just standing there like shaking his head and I, I don't think he was shaking his head saying no I think he was just shaking his head saying like this guy is a, is a machine um, he, he just wants to fight all the time I think I think Cerrone's better suited to welterweight than he was at lightweight because I just think the cut to lightweight was having a bad effect on him because he's a big guy. Like Matt Brown has fought at middleweight, and yeah. Cerrone Cerrone wasn't giving up any size to him at all. The thing with Cerrone though has always been he can beat anybody on the car, on, on the roster except the champion because for whatever reason when he goes in against the champion he just freezes. That's what happened when he fought Dos Anjos last time. He went in on a great winning streak and just froze. I I think he's going to be better suited at welterweight. I'd like to see him fight Tyron Woodley for sure. Um, I think the better fight stylistically would be Cerrone against Wonderboy. So it'll be interesting to see who wins the Wonderboy um, Woodley rematch. But, it, you know. Cerrone with another win at this weight level I think or this weight class I think he's going to really put himself there as the number one contender not just for his work in the middleweight but overall body work he's a guy that deserves to get a, you know another title shot um, and like his loyalty to the to the brand and his willingness to fight whenever and not complain like look you know he should have fought UFC 205 Gastel misses weight he could have just thrown all the toys out of the pram but no, turn around straight away and said, right, well, if I'm not on this card, put me on 206, I'll fight whoever you want. And comes in last night, gets gets a great victory and, and moves on to bigger and better things. Oh, oh yeah, he does, yeah. And, um, you know, he's expected they'll be fighting against um, George Masvidal um, on that Denver show in January. And, um, you know, Masvidal's certainly not as highly ranked as... Cerrone is so Cerrone should win that contest um, but after that if he does it emerge victorious from it um, you know you're looking at the likes of Damien Meyer Robbie Lawler Wonderboy as you mentioned and um, you know, if he's lucky he might even get a fight for the title against Woodley but um, you know certainly uh, a future that's looking very bright for uh, the Cowboy um, after a very very good 2016 um, so then we move on to uh, the main event, which was a very uh, eagerly awaited contest, um, but was slightly let down by the fact that um, one of the fighters missed weight, and um, that was Anthony Pettis, who couldn't get down to the featherweight weight limit of 145, um, came in at 148. So as a result, um, we had a slightly bizarre stipulation that um, it was a title fight for the interim featherweight title um, between Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis but um, the only person that could win the title was Max Holloway so if Anthony Pettis won the contest um, he would not be able to uh, claim the interim featherweight title and the fact that there was an interim featherweight title in the first place is um, quite bizarre in a way because uh, just um, 
two or three weeks ago, UFC announced that um, Conor McGregor had been stripped or relieved of the featherweight content, uh, featherweight belt, and um, he would stick. He would be sticking with the lightweight belt. And uh, Conor then has come out in the last week or two and said, "Well, actually, nobody's taken this belt away from me. It's still at home." Mm. Um, so, as a result, we've got an interim title um, until it's decided um, that um, this title is uh, uh, definitely uh, going to be put on someone else as uh, an undisputed champion. So uh, we had Holloway and Pettis then, and um, this was a back and forth fight like the rest of the fights on this show. And um, we had a finish in round three and we had the champion crowned in Max Holloway. What did you make of this one? Well, first of all, to address the title situation, it was an absolute joke that this fight was for an interim belt. Josie Aldo was the interim title holder already. Conor McGregor is the is the featherweight champion. Yep. And that's all there is to it. Like, McGregor's the champion, Aldo's the interim title holder, while McGregor deals with business at an upper weight class. This fight should never have been for title. The only reason it was was purely because Daniel Cormier got hurt and they wanted to give it a bit of glitz and glam. It didn't need it. This was an exciting fight anyway that everybody was looking forward to. Two of the most exciting fighters in the UFC, Anthony Showtime Pettis, is just a whirling dervish of you know unusual technique who's technically brilliant across all disciplines. Max Holloway is one of the best young fighters to come into the UFC in a long time. He's like 24, 25 now. He's really hit his stride. And it was it was a fun fight. Now, look, Pettis missing weight was fair enough. Um, it, was, it was always going to be a struggle for him to stay at 145 because it's not like he was a small 155 fighter. So he'll go back to 155, and I think he can do quite well. Um, I think he can get himself back in the title picture there. But credit to Max Holloway. I thought he was losing this fight at the you know at the time of the stoppage. Um, Pettis, I thought, had been controlling early on, and then he broke his hand. And it, the second round was a little bit sort of you know to and from. Into the third round, Holloway started to take control and really just put the fight away in a, in a impressive fashion. Like hurt him and stayed on him and basically made him quit. Um, but like the, just the idea that this fight was for a title just bothered me the whole time. I, you know, look, the, the, the current, uh, you know, champion is now hold Jose Aldo, who Conor McGregor knocked out in 13 seconds. The interim champion is Max Holloway, who Conor McGregor comfortably beat in a unanimous decision, despite tearing his ACL. So, like, these guys aren't on McGregor's level. Fair enough, you could say that maybe Aldo, like, given what he's done, he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. Maybe he can beat McGregor in a rematch, because in a fight that ends as quickly as theirs did, there's always a lot of questions left. But I don't see any questions with Max Holloway. Because while he has improved, McGregor has also improved, and I think he's improved more than Holloway has. So, credit to Max Holloway. I think he's a really good fighter. I think he deserved the win. I think he, you know, is going to be a big name in this company. I just don't agree with the fact that he's parading around now with a belt that 
doesn't mean anything. Like, fair enough, if you're going to strip McGregor and, and give the title to Aldo, that's fine. But you don't need another interim champion. You just don't. Like, the, this interim thing, UFC are obsessed with interim champions. And they're just nonsense. It's just, you know, a way to sell these fights. You don't need to sell them. Sell them on the talent of the fighters. Having a plastic belt there doesn't make them any, you know, more exciting for fans. I totally agree, yeah. I mean... As it is, we've got increasing number of titles uh, with an increasing number of divisions within the UFC. And so for your average fan to keep on top of all the divisions and to know who's a champion for each of the different divisions is hard enough. But when you introduce interim titles as well, it makes it all the more confusing and just devalues the titles that are there. So um, I totally agree. It's, um, it's, it's not great. And it wasn't certainly a fight that was... Um, reacted to by the live audience like a title fight um in fact of all of the five fights on that main card i thought it was the fight that possibly had the least amount of uh, crowd interest and there was not a lot of noise um i know it was probably quite late at night in toronto by that time um but um it certainly didn't have the atmosphere of a, a main event title fight um but nonetheless um it was it was a good competitive fight just a shame that uh Pettis broke his hand, um, but I agree, uh, you know, if, if that hadn't happened, I still thought he, he should have gone on to win the fight, albeit Max Holloway has come on in leaps and bounds the last couple of years and um, will be one of the very top fighters in the company for years to come. Um, but, you know, he won the fight, he won the main event, um, and that topped off a very, very good show, one of the best UFC cards of 2016 and um, certainly want to go out of your way to see if you haven't done so already. Um, so as we know in UFC these days, uh, you can barely go a week without another UFC show, and so that proved with um, yet another show, UFC on Fox, um, this past weekend. Um, so on the Saturday night of the 17th, uh, we had UFC on Fox, which is a four-match ma- four card, and um, the opener on this one, um, from this uh, show in Sacramento in California was uh, between Alan Juban and Mike Perry in a welterweight contest. Um, and this was a fight that went the distance and Juban emerged victorious, Dave. He did, and he deserved the victory. Um, I, I, I thought this was going to be like another Swanson Choi type of brawl just given the styles of both fighters, but it didn't turn out that way. Um, Perry is a guy that just relies too much on trying to get the knockout. I think his technical limitations were shown up in this fight. Juban used his length, his reach, his technique, and, and, you know, got a good win, and I think he's another one that can go on to bigger and better things. He's a very, very talented guy with, with a bright, bright future ahead of him. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the fight. Um, thought Juban um, fought a very smart fight. Um, didn't engage and allow Mike Perry to um, close the distance and um, get into a slugfest. Um, you know, it was noted in commentary. He was just going in and out, you know, picking Mike Perry off. And, um, you know, it was very smart. And his experience showed um, that that was a determining factor in him winning the contest. So, uh bit of a setback for Perry who's been looking quite promising on uh, prelim fights um, on UFC undercards but um, certainly a learning experience for him and I'm sure he'll come back stronger. Um, the next fight then was um, certainly 
Well, I actually got quite emotional about. Um, it was a fight between Sacramento's most famous mixed martial arts fighter, um, really a legend of mixed martial arts, in my opinion, uh, Uriah Faber, against um, another veteran bantamweight in um, East London's Brad Pickett. And, um, you know, Pickett's a great character, comes out with his Chaz and Dave entrance theme and um, his hat and, uh, you know, certainly quite an underrated fighter in my view, quite a well-rounded one. Um, But um, on this night, there's only going to be one winner. It was um, the California kid, Uriah Faber, by unanimous decision. Yeah, for me, this should have been the main event. I thought Faber deserved the honor of headlining his last card. Um, it was certainly the biggest fight of the night in terms of draw. Um, Faber is arguably the greatest fighter to not hold a UFC title, you know, who's fought in the UFC for a prolonged period. An incredible career. I'm not, not a huge fan of him or, or his camp, just I don't like their attitude. But um, what he's yeah. done for MMA is, is incredible. Uh, especially the lower weight classes, he he really is like you say he's a pioneer. Um, and you and you look at the, you know the likes of Mendez and Garbant and um, T.J. Dillashaw that these guys like they're all where they are because of him. Um, he's done incredible work with the camp with himself, and he goes out on a high. I was glad to see him get the win. You know, a good performance. It wasn't like a thing that it was like some some old guy who was finished just kind of scrapping for one last win. Faber looked like he could continue to fight. He he obviously has other plans for his life, and um and all the best to him. He's he's had a hell of a career, and it, it was nice to see him going out in a high. Absolutely, yeah. Um, certainly uh, went down enormously well with the uh, hometown crowd. Had a great reaction from those in attendance, um, lit up the Arco Arena, which was the main arena in Sacramento before this this new venue um, opened up a few months ago. And, um, you know, it was certainly the main reason why I was first drawn to WEC nearly a decade ago. Um, it was certainly the uh, star performer in that promotion. Um, Faber and Miguel Torres. Oh yeah. They, yeah, they were the two guys that were just they, they were the absolute business in in, in the WEC, and then yep. the likes the likes of Aldo came along. But without Faber, there would have been none of it. There would have been no Jose Aldo. There'd be no 145 or 135 pound weight classes in the UFC. Um, well, you know there might be now, but there wouldn't have been as quickly as as there was because of Faber. He he really did just bring so much to the sport, and he's another guy that. I think has a very important role to play in the future of the sport from the fighters union point of view. I hope he's a guy that gets involved in that because he's very articulate. He knows the sport so, so well. He knows the business. Well, like he's a guy who, who he marketed himself. I mean, small guys like him, they weren't getting the marketing push from, from the companies, Yeah, but he was able to go out and get his own endorsements and make himself a really good living. Um, and deserves everything he has. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, certainly um, a great asset to mixed martial arts, and uh, I'm sure he'll continue to contribute, um, albeit not in the octagon. Um, two fighters who will certainly be contributing a lot to the octagon for many years to come are Mickey Gall and Sage Norcutt, and uh, 
these were two guys who um, had a quite a, a interesting war of words prior to the fight and um, even during the fight in a welterweight contest. And uh, Mickey Gore, um, as uh, listeners should be aware, um, had that very dominating victory over CM Punk early this year. And um, Sage Northcutt is almost like a, a poster boy in waiting for the UFC. Um, obscenely good-looking kid, um, only 20 years of age, came into UFC when he was what, 18 or so years of age. Um, extremely talented young kid. Um, but it was the slightly older 24-year-old in Mickey Gall who emerged victorious from this one. And um, what did you make of this one? I was really, really impressed with Mickey Gall. I thought it was a fantastic performance from him. Um, controlled the fight, you know, showed decent striking. He's obviously a very, very good grappler. Just took the fight where he wanted it to go and, and finished the fight. And Sage Norcott has a big, big future in this sport. There's no doubt he's still very, very young. Um, but Mickey Gold, for me, just looked like he was on a different level. And obviously there was a lot of talk that maybe, you know, how good was he? We hadn't seen a whole lot because... He had a very quick fight in his first UFC outing. He beat up CM Punk, who nobody really took seriously as a fighter. Um, so how, how good was this kid? And he, he proved he was really, really good. And I tell you, he surprised me after the fight because, well, first of all, he called out Dan Hardy, and that's a fight I'd like to see. If Dan Hardy is going to go back, there's a good fight for him. But for him to say he thinks he can drop to featherweight, or to, to lightweight, rather, was really surprising to me because he's a. I think he's quite a big welterweight. He's six like, foot two. Yeah, yeah and he, he was bigger than Northcote, and Northcote's a big, a big kid as well. So I don't know. Uh, you know, I think it's easy for him to say, "Oh, I'm going to drop to 155." I don't know that he's going to be able to drop to 155. Like that's a hell of a drop on a big, big frame like that. He might be able to make the weight, but how much of him's going to be there? Um, like. We, we've seen guys before really harm themselves by cutting loads away to try and get down because they think they might have an easier time um, at the lower weight class and, and in the end they just you know they can't bring their power down because they lose too much weight and they lose their strength so I think he'd be making a mistake by dropping down I think he needs to stay at 170 and just progress slowly you know work literally start get the top 50 um welterweights and start picking out who you want to fight you know moving slowly up don't jump drastically up through the quality of of opponent build your way slowly up and eventually i think he has the the, the talent to become a ufc champion and he certainly has the personality that's going to uh going to make him a big name you know he's already a big name in the sport because of the cm punk fight but you know his personality he's He's very arrogant, not arrogant, but he's quite you know confident and cocky. Um, he's happy to call people out. There's a certain Irish guy at the moment who's the biggest star the sports ever seen, who who made his name by calling people out and by being you know cocky and confident. So goal, that's the that's the the blueprint for you. Just look at what Conor McGregor did and just follow it that way. But stay at 170. Don't don't drop down because. Even if you do make the cut, you're you're going to be in a bad, bad way trying to get down there. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's um, somebody who's six two, probably outside of fighting, probably weighs in around the one ninety mark. Um, so to get down from one ninety to one fifty five, that's a massive drop, and uh, you know, it's something that 
certainly take away from you in terms of stamina, endurance, uh, power. And, yeah, like, um, I mean, size-wise, he looks like Nick Diaz's size, doesn't he? Yeah, he, like, he does, looks like yeah. the type of guy who, long run, you're looking at as a middleweight. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, I just I just don't see that he could make that cut. Like I know I remember Rory McDonald talked about making that cut as well. And like before GSP took us hiatus, McDonald was saying maybe I'll go to one fifty five because I don't want to fight GSP. Yeah. And then it just wasn't going to be possible for him. I think I think when Gold actually looks at it realistically, he's going to figure out this is not doable for me. Oh yeah, totally. And. Uh... But I mean, it, it was very impressive. I mean, I was not a believer in Gore. I thought he was lucky to get signed by the UFC in the first place. Um, I thought he just didn't have enough experience after only what one fight, um, one or t- no, one fight was I think. And uh, this was a fight that showed that he is the real deal. I mean, granted, he's not fought a top contender, but as a fighter that certainly belongs in the UFC, he showed it again. It was a very dominating display. And, um, you know, one or two more fights like this, and he'll be booked against um, guys in the top 15. And um, for a guy who might only at that point be six fights into his mixed martial arts career, um, that that would be extremely impressive. Um, so, you know, he's got mouth, he's got charisma, and he's now got, he's showing he's got talent as well. So he's certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, and then we came to the main event, and um, this was a, a strawweight contest, a female strawweight contest between um, Michelle Waterson, who'd been away for some 18 months, against uh, a fighter who, in 2016, has become one of UFC's biggest names, but not because of anything she's done in the octagon. Um, this was uh, a lady who's come second place on the UK, S version of uh, Strictly Come Dancing, Dancing with the Stars. Um, that's Paige Van Zant, and um, you know she um, came into this contest with um, a lot of uh, general kind of uh, fame because of that uh, reality show. And um, unfortunately, she couldn't back it up with a victory. She lost to Waterson, and um, it was a big night for uh, Michelle Waterson, who moved up in the rankings for the strawweight division. Yeah, and Waterson looked really good in this fight. Um, she controlled the fight, used her kicks really well, you know, clinched when she needed to, took the fight down, and made it look quite easy once she got it to the ground. She's obviously primarily a striker, but she's got great grappling. This was just a case of a very, very good fighter in against someone who wasn't ready to be at their level. Paige Van Zandt, all due respect had no business been in the cage with a fighter of Michelle Watterson's calibre. Um, Van Zandt, to me, risks going on and becoming the Anna Kornikova of MMA, where she becomes more famous um, for things outside the cage. And that Maybe that's fine. Maybe that's what she wants. I don't know. I don't know the girl. Um, but, you know, Michelle Watterson dominated this fight. Now, I think the UFC should look into bringing the Adam Weight division into, into you know their ranks because I think that's where Waterson wants to fight. I think Invicta have a couple of really good fighters at that level. I think there's a couple of other fighters in the UFC that would do really well at Adam Weight. Like the, the two Polish girls that fought um, for the title quite recently, the the girl who lost, she'd be more comfortable at Adam Weight as well. So 
it's something for them to look into. Um, yeah. I definitely think there's there's the talent there to, to add that division and not dilute what they already have. Yeah, no, that's a good shout. Um, Carolina Coaptuis is the uh, girl who lost against uh, Joanna Jedrechik, I think is the way you pronounce it. I should know this, shouldn't I? I mean, she's been the champion and been arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC this year. Um, mm. But you know, nonetheless, um, they had a really good fight. Um, albeit Joanna did, um, in the end, dominate it. But um, you know, Carolina certainly was very impressive. And um, an atomweight division might be absolutely spot on for her but UFC certainly is though introducing a new female division um, which will be the women's featherweight division the 145 pound division and um, one suspects that um, Chris Cyborg might be the the girl that UFC has in mind to be the uh, yeah, pinnacle I, of I that think, division I think that's the the sole reason they're considering bringing that weight class in is, is for Cyborg um, who's just she's a terrifying human being um, and I, I think she'll do really well I think she'll carry that weight class uh, in its formative period and then pass the torch when it's ready to be passed and, and the fighters have developed themselves to get to her level indeed yes um, you know and uh, the fight that has been talked about for a long time now is uh, Cyborg against um, on Ronda Rousey and um, that segues nicely into um, us talking about the show that is coming up um, at the end of this month, which is UFC 207, which um, emanates from uh, uh, Las Vegas, and um, you know it, it's uh, shaping up to be a really good show. And um, let's just dive into the the main card for this event, Dave, and um, the uh, opener on this main card um, of the fights that are confirmed thus far um, is a bantamweight contest between TJ Dillashaw and John Lineker um, so what, what are your predictions for this fight and where do you see this one going um, I, I like Dillashaw in this fight I think you know he's the number two ranked bantamweight in the world he's a very very good fighter former UFC bantamweight champion who was so impressive in his fights against Henan Brow and really he could have won that, that fight against Dominic Cruz I think you know, it was a very close fight for me. Cruz, Cruz did win the fight. I thought it was, a, I, think, I thought it was the right call. But Dillashaw put in a hell of a performance against him. But he, like Dillashaw, for me, is just a better fighter than John Lineker. I think Lineker is very talented, but I'm just not sure he's ready for a, a fighter of Dillashaw's caliber at this point. But it, for sure, it'll be a good fight. It'll be a really exciting fight. Um, I think I think it's a fight that could go a distance because these are two guys that come in. They've got great cardio, and they're both very very tough guys. Yes, um, I agree. It's going to be quite a competitive one. Um, I'll have to go with Dillashaw as well. Um, I think Dillashaw has been there at the top, and um, you know he's hungry to get back there again. So uh, I predict a win for for TJ. Um, the next contest um, against. Uh, it's Fabricio Doom against um, the former heavyweight champion in Cain Velasquez. So two former champions um, up against each other. And um, it's quite likely that the winner of this one might be next in line for uh, Stipe Miocic's um, heavyweight championship. And um, this promises to be quite a, quite a slobber knocker, as uh, Jim Ross from the pro wrestling world would say. What, what do you make of this one then? 
yeah, I'm looking forward to this fight. I think I think Cain Velasquez has a point to prove here. Um, he wasn't he wasn't 100 healthy for their last meeting, and for Doom, to his credit, you know, won the fight in dominant fashion. I I expect Kane to win this fight though. But the one thing that is concerning me is that Kane has already said he's got a surgery booked for after this fight, so he's obviously coming in with some sort of injury. Um, but I still think Kane should just have a bit too much for Verdum. And I, I really want to see Kane against uh, Stephen Miocic because I think I think Kane's the best heavyweight the UFC has ever had. I think he's just the most rounded. I think he's the most talented. I think if it wasn't for injuries, I think he really would have kind of become the real superstar heavyweight that the UFC has never had. It's probably the one weight class they've never had someone who's kind of transcended the sport the way Liddell did at, um, at light heavyweight, the way Anderson Silva did at middleweight, and, you know, Chael Sonnen to another extent, even though he was never champion, kind of became a, a, a figure bigger than the sport. Um, I think I think Kane could have done that, especially with, a, with his appeal to the, the Mexican and, and the Hispanic fan base. Um, this would be a good fight, though. Like, obviously, for Doom... So much, you know, talent as, as a grappler, good striking, great experience. He's beaten, you know, a laundry list of legends, you know, including one Fedor Emelianenko. Um, so, you know, this this won't be an easy fight for Kane, but I do just think he he'll come through. And I think he'll win this by stoppage. Yeah, I have to agree with you again. Um, we keep agreeing on this one, Dave, but. Uh, no, I think Velasquez will just have too much for Verdum. I mean, Verdum's 39, and um, at some point, you know, time will catch up. And um, and I think it could just be um, in this fight. Uh, Velasquez is um, certainly hungry to get back into um, world title contention again. And, uh, you know, he wants to become the heavyweight champion of the world once more. And that's something that um, I've certainly been bugging in for a long time now. And... Um, in terms of natural ability and flair, I think that he is completely the best heavyweight in the division, and I completely agree with you there. Um, but um, we're doomed as a stand-up striker. Um, has taken out some very, very top fighters, and uh, you know Velasquez has to be careful that if he allows himself to get drawn in a stand-up battle. Um, you know, Verdum's got a chance, whereas if it goes to the ground, albeit though Verdum's got fantastic jiu-jitsu skills, um, Velasquez's wrestling is um, off the page, and uh, you know, with his uh, superior control, he might be able to negate any kind of opportunities Verdum has in terms of um, employing any of his um, array of jiu-jitsu tactics. But uh, Velasquez is, is certainly the one that I and you both predict to win this one. Um, the semi-main event for the show, then, is... Um, a title contest um, between two guys who are mathing off against each other on the uh, UFC on Fox show. Um, and that's um, the contender, Cody Gabrant, against uh, the champion, Dominic Cruz. Um, where do you see this one going, Dave? Um, I, I think Dominic Cruz is one of the three best fighters in the world. I think the knee injuries obviously were horrendous. And he lost, what, two, three years of his career. But to come back the way he did against a, a really good fighter in Dillashaw... And then his last fight was just an exhibition. I think he's just going to have too much for Garbrandt. Um, I, I just don't think he's on Cruz's level. I think there's very few fighters in the world on Cruz's level. 
and I, I see Cruz winning a dominant performance here. Yeah, this is the first one I'm actually going to disagree with you on, Dave. <laughs> I'm going to put my neck out and go out on a limb here and actually predict a big upset. Um, I just fancy um, Gabrant to win this one. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, I mean, he's been undefeated um, in his MMA career and has finished most of his fights. Most of them haven't gone the distance. So um, for the bantamweight division, he's actually got relatively heavy hands. And um, you know, he's quite versatile as well. He's good on the ground as well as standing up. Um, but in that said, he's up against one of the most elusive fighters. In some ways, almost like the... Floyd Mayweather Jr. of mixed martial arts in uh, Dominic Cruz. And um, Cruz is just so, so good at um, avoiding opponents and uh, just so good at negating those attacks. But like I was kind of saying with um, one of my previous comments, I just feel that um, Dominic Cruz has been around, you know, for a long, long time. Albeit he's still a young guy. He's only about 31. Um, But, um, you know, he's been in a lot of wars and, um, you know, he's taken you know, real um, hard beatings in some of these fights. And, um, you know, some, some of these injuries he's had have been quite significant. And um, I just feel that there's the opportunity there for somebody to come along and uh, pull off a big upset. And we've seen it in the past with dominant fighters like Anderson Silva. And, uh, you know, we saw how, you know, he came up um, and lost the title after... Um, you know, being champion for many years. And, um, you know, I just feel that there might be something in Dominic Cruz's future like that. But, um, I mean, he will certainly be the, the strong favourite, Will Cruz, but um, I just fancy a bit of an upset here. So it's just a gut feel, nothing more than that. But um, I predict a win, a win for Gabran. Um, on to the main event then. And um, this is another female contest and... Uh, it's the return of the biggest female, certainly MMA fighter in the world, and arguably the biggest female sports star in the world, in Ronda Rousey. And um, she's up against the women's bantamweight champion, Amanda Nunes. And um, this is a title fight that will certainly be one of the most watched contests of 2016. Um, so where do you think this goes? Does Ron- Ronda Rousey return and reclaim her title? Or do you think Nunes will be too good for her? Mo, this is so hard to predict because the last time we saw Rousey, she was badly beaten um, by Holly Holm. And all we've heard is kind of bad things since. There hasn't been much positive talk coming out of the Rousey camp. Um, I, I don't think she should have been jump, jumping right back in with a title fight. I think she should have had a, had a fight to kind of find her feet and get, get back to her level. But this is what the UFC have decided to do. Um, Nunes for me, just looks like she might have a bit too much in terms of the striking. I don't think she's going to want to go to the ground with Rousey, because while she's a great grappler, so is Rousey. But I think she can outstrike her, and I think that's her her avenue to to victory, and I'm going to pick Amanda Nunes in this fight. I agree Rousey's probably the biggest star, biggest female star in all of sports, but I think that's kind of what what affected her so much was having to have all that on her plate you know like the movie stuff Wrestlemania all the publicity all the hype having to do all the you know the the PR stuff before the her, her fights and stuff 
really kind of got to her. And the same thing happened to McGregor, and McGregor was just able to handle it a lot better than her. But I, I just, I just feel that maybe Rousey would have should have had a fight before this fight to find her level again. This is asking an awful lot of anybody to come back, you know, after such a long layoff and, and fight the champion. It's just, it's a little bit of, of, of a poor move by the UFC. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would agree with you, but my, my theory on this one is is that I think UFC are the feeling that this this might be Ronda's last fight, um, irrespective of the outcome, because you know she talked about contemplating suicide after her loss to Holly Holm. That's how badly that first fight affected her, um, which was uh, what thirteen months ago now, mm. and. Um, I think that UFC's view is is that if she wants to come back and just prove to herself that she's still got something, and if it doesn't work out and she disappears for good, that they'd rather that happen in a title fight against a champion where she almost puts over the champion and gives that champion a bit more credibility than if she goes in there against you know the number seven or number eight ranked cont- uh, contender in the division. Um, loses in that contest and then never comes back again. Yeah, uh, that's fair. That's very fair. And, and that, that's my only kind of read of that. And um, I, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping that she certainly intends to come back and whether she wins or loses, that she stays around. But, um, you know, she's got a lot of offers um, from all different directions. We know that she's a big wrestling fan and, um, you know, the WWE would absolutely love to bring her in. And, um, you know, I, I think that at some point she'd like to go into the WWE, whether it's as a part time or a full time personality. Um, you know, she gets movie offers, TV offers, um, endorsement opportunities all the time. You know, she's a very in demand personality, celebrity individual. And, um, you know, with all those demands, you know, there's a real uh, impact on um, the amount of time that you can devote to um training day in day out to to do mixed martial arts it's a very very uh demanding sport which requires a lot of sacrifice and um you know she's been there to the top and if she feels that she can no longer fulfill those demands then you know she might just want to walk away and uh i'm hoping that's not the case i'm hoping she does stay around for a while yeah i think she's got a lot to offer um ufc and mixed martial arts um but um it's a brave decision um, whether it was a joint decision by UFC and, Hol- and uh, Ronda Rousey or if it was just a decision by UFC, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the outcome is. But it will certainly be one of the biggest shows of 2016 to cap off what's been a magnificent year for UFC in terms of box office success, thanks largely to Conor McGregor. And um, we'll see what 2017 brings. So thanks for uh, recapping that show then, Dave. Very much looking forward to it. And um, so UFC 207 then will be taking place on the 30th of December, which will be a nice way to see out the year, which has been a big one for UFC and mixed martial arts as 2016. 2017 promises to be just as big, if not bigger. And uh, Dave and I will be here each month uh, bringing you all the key events, all the major events um, throughout the year. And... um, giving you our take on them so uh our next um mma monthly will be um dropping around the 23rd of january and uh, just in time for ufc on fox 
which we headlined by Valentina Shevchenko and Juliana Pena um, in a women's bantamweight division contest main event. Um, Donald Cerrone, as we talked about earlier on, will be also competing on that card. And we'll also be recapping um, UFC 207, as well as all the other big major talking points um, in the month of January. Um, but in the meantime... Um, Keep on watching UFC, keep on watching Mixed Martial Arts, and I hope you've enjoyed this pod. Thank you very much. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program.